Amen. Good morning. Can you turn to Ephesians 4 this morning? Welcome everyone that is here. It's a blessing. I uh, <clears throat> appreciate the first question, why are we gathered here this morning? And um, I usually put emphasis on the fact that we need to be uh, lifted up. The life of God in us needs to be encouraged. It's a, it's a call to duty. It's a call to walk faithful. It's a call to obedience. And, um, but I always put a prerequisite on that, and that is preparing our hearts before we come. How do we prepare our hearts? Pray. Before we come to this meeting, did we pray for the Lord to show himself strong, to speak to us? Did we pray for the brothers presenting the word so it comes true, unadulterous, pure? Did we condition our hearts this morning? Well, if we didn't, uh, we need to change our morning habits. It's like Brother John said, it's a tradition, but once it just stops at a tradition without life, it's meaningless. We hear, we get the word, and then we leave, and then we go back to our old habits and traditions. So, well, amen, and thanks for sharing that. Thank you for putting the focus on Christ this morning. And also putting a little, somewhat of a, well, the honors on us. And I want to focus on that this morning. And I want to talk about walk worthy of the calling. To walk worthy of the calling. And it's just, I was pondering throughout the week of just our life, our church, our our endeavors are who we are. And, um, and I agree with Brother John, traditions, I've come to appreciate traditions. Paul said, he told us, uh, where did he wrote that? To hold on to the traditions that have been handed down to you. There are, there are wholesome traditions, but again, without Christ, without the life of God in us, they're meaningless. And... There is, there is a calling on God's people. There is a calling to walk worthy, to find purpose. And most of the time, it's our hearts, it's our, it's our life, it's our lack of obedience that doesn't find purpose. And we, then we would start running around and looking for it and doing all kinds of activities instead of coming in meekness the Lord. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, but uh, I want to pray again. Maybe we, let's, let's stand, let's uh, stand up before the Lord this morning. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we come before you, before your throne, before our creator God, and want to bless you. We want to bless your name this morning. We want to bless you for who you are, for what you've done, and what you're still doing, Lord. And we know, Lord, that you are God. You're in control. You dictate the times, the seasons, and we're living in. And I just pray, Lord, that we count it as a privilege of being able to part, be partakers of eternal life, to be partakers of the redeemed, and to be called according to your purpose, Lord. Lord, I want to pray this morning that we do not miss your calling, your working, your Holy Spirit working in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we can walk as the redeemed and not be lost by the snares of the enemy, by the things of this world, but Lord, to have our heart and our focus set on your kingdom, knowing, Lord God Jesus, that you are getting ready 
for your return. As Lord, as we look around, the signs are becoming obvious for your return, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we do not, that we do not, I pray, Lord, that you press it upon our hearts, that we do not waste this time, but redeem this time, Lord, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives to stand before you. So I want to pray, Lord, that you speak to us this morning, that your the word may move our hearts and that give us a single hardness towards you, Lord, and that you that we can see that we are privileged, that we are have this glorious opportunity, Lord, to be partakers of eternal life with you. So we thank you, Lord. We pray for your presence here. We pray there's no room for the enemy in this room. As we gather together with your people, Lord, we pray that you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to read a few verses in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We can be so easily lost in our everyday activities. We can get lost with our ambitions. We can get lost with the cares of this world. And we know that Jesus spoke about that when he said that the cares of this world can drown out Christ, the gospel message, the seed that is being planted. And I'm always amazed what it takes, what it takes in us to stay diligent, to stay alert, to stay sensitive. And the scary part is, if we're not on guard, we slip. And there's this weird place of complacency that we get stuck with. And it seems a lot of times it's even hopeless to get out. That is a bad place for anybody to be, especially a male. And why am I saying a male? Because usually as men, if we can't find purpose, belonging, or accomplishment or responsibility, we get disoriented. We get jittery we we start uh, doing weird things we start wasting time we start pl to play we start to invite the enemy into our territory through without even knowing it and so the best thing is to be diligent to seek the lord daily and a kingdom purpose before we lose direction and orientation how the lord leads and directs us the King James Version calls it to walk worthy of our vocation. And I always find it a very interesting term, vocation. Like it's our job, it's our livelihood. Our walk, we have been called to partake of Christ. And I find it interesting that when we find the word called being used by Christ, that's the Greek word kletos. And the same word Paul uses, epistles, kletos, to address the saints that are called, kletos, that are called. He called the saints, you are called to a purpose. Or in Corinthians, he introduced himself as Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if we go back to that verse... I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling 
with which you were called. Now the question remains, what are we called to? Jesus used this instance of for sure two times, and they're found in Matthew. And the first is the parable in Matthew 20 of gathering people to work in the vineyard, the parable. The Lord of the vineyard and workers all agreed to the nearest a day before they started working. And as the day went on, even to the 11th hour, he was still hiring for this same amount. And that brings us to an interesting exchange in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 20, uh, 12 to 16. The last men have worked only one hour. They were saying this. These last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the nearest? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your evil, your eye evil because I am good? In verse 16, he said, So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. It, Throwing that statement in just gives us a, a ton to churn on that whole parable. What is he talking about? Like, why? You, if you could say, I would say the, the, the one statement, those who were first shall be last. Or, so those who were last will be first and the first last. Okay, I get that. It's the grace of God. It's God's mercy on our life. But then he said, for many are called, but few chosen. And to me, it reminds me of how we have and see Christianity today. The call goes out. We hear. We even respond. But are we faithful, even if we come first? Even if we're there with the first group, are we faithful to be chosen? The next one is in chapter 22, a few chapters after that. A parable, again, is inviting. It's, an, it's Again, it's an invitation, but this time to a wedding. The first rejected him, which he was talking about his own people, as it says in John chapter 1. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Then the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And in chapter 22, verse 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. That did not go well with the guests. And uh, he cast him into outer darkness, where there will be gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he ended again with this statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so we all hear, we all get invited, we all get a chance to participate, but doing it faithfully and wholeheartedly, I believe, is what matters in the end. We cannot come to a wedding feast with our dirty garments. There is a process that has to happen. Chosen determines if we are walking as Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith walked. As he walked. And um, in order to determine that we are walking worthwhile, we need to ask, what is the chief goal for God's people? What if, what if God looks at us the same way? 
Yes, we, we could say we heard the invitation. We're hearing the word of God again this morning. And uh, he comes in and looks at the guests and he says, out. There's something missing. There's a garment. You don't have the garment. You don't have the wedding garment. So it does beg the question, what does it take? What is the wedding garment? What does it mean to walk worthily of our calling? See, these, uh, these verses that we just read in Ephesians, they're not just random words of encouragement to keep us going for today or another week. But how about we view these verses as commandments to a people who have been called and redeemed with a price? If we meditate and study this question, we start seeing why, why it needs lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. We, we, we start to see the wisdom of Christ. We see the wisdom of the Word of God to walk in lowliness, in gentleness. Again, the recipients of that are our brothers and sisters. Long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. And to have that clear goal, why is the, the question that Brother John asked, have, have we ever asked, why are we coming together on Sunday? Are, you, are we able to fully answer that question and be at peace with it? Well, how about I take that question to another step? Why are you living in this church? Why are you living where you're at? I'm talking the context of the kingdom of God. If I ask you all right now what your goal and purpose is, would, would you have a clear answer? I'm also a teacher. In high school... Which, you know, where that's where I am at. We have new students coming into grade nine. And we'll, I like to test them at the beginning. And one of the, the tests I do to check their readiness, if they have a proper foundation, I have one simple test. And I would give them a few random multiplication problems, like eight times seven, six times nine, five times four. And if a student can answer within a second, I know they're ready to go on. If, if they use brain power to solve these simple multiplications, they're not quite ready to do longer expressions of algebra. I know they're well established. I know they've practiced. I know they were into it. If not, they'll have to keep on practicing that. So, if I ask you right now what your calling or vocation is, could you answer it in a couple of seconds? Or would you need, oh, I need to think about that one. Now, for me, a high school student who has gone through eight years of school, unless there's some special situation you're supposed to go like this <clears throat> how about a believer who has walked with the lord for 10 20 years and still cannot figure out what their purpose in life and goals are in life what your calling is what does that suggest when a student doesn't know their multiplication, I know they've, they've been neglected or they have neglected that area. Doesn't that suggest that I'm taking my walk not serious? That I am not walking worthily of what is being given to me? If I cannot figure out what my purpose is. Yes, sometimes we head down this trail and we try to make it complicated. But God, I believe God has a simple calling 
purpose for all of us. And to be faithful to that. Now, we have some fairly young believers here and we have older believers. So there will be variations to that question. But in general, when we sign up and commit to the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be a clear-cut purpose and goal in our life that determines our battle position in everyday conflict with the enemy. The enemy is up and about, ready to devour, ready to kill, ready to steal. What's our position? So one of, one of the things that has to happen in our life is that we have to come to the realization that the commandments and teachings of Jesus are not just a list of random words and ideas that God gave us to see if we might or maybe be obedient to them. All of Jesus' teaching flow from God's true and perfect nature. They are for the building and perfecting of his saints. His teachings flow from God's love and the gospel is the epitome of his love. So every element of the gospel is best understood in the context of his desire to be in a strong and loving relationship with us and for us to live in unity with fellow believers. He wants to be our father, our teacher, our lover, and our friend. That realization has to be a reality in our life. So, our purpose and vocation, what is it? Are you ready for your one-second answer? Maybe you are. But I have a, I have a few here that will help us and remind us. And if, if we didn't practice enough, if they weren't... Uh, Diligent in it, it'll help us and encourage us. So one of the main goals that we have, the calling, the purpose, is to become Christ-like. To become Christ-like. John 15, Jesus calls us to abide in him. John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bring it forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The, the, verses, the verse here suggests that we will bring forth the fruit of Christ. We will bring forth much fruit, not our fruit, the fruit of Christ, because it said, for without me you can do nothing. So what, what's abiding? In verse 5 he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. What do we think the term abiding that Jesus used here will look like? Isn't it some kind of connection and awareness throughout our day? Isn't it seeking to spend time with God in his word that speaks about Christ? Isn't it spending time in prayer? Isn't it walking in obedience? Be sensitive to his presence in our life at all times. A mentality, to have a mentality, because of him, we do these things. Because of him, we are gathered here this morning. Because of him, we serve one another. What effect will it have on us if we abide in that sense with Jesus? Don't you think we will become like him? Wouldn't that change our life patterns and our outlook? Will it not change our character into his likeness? Will it not? Isn't that something to, to look at? To be like him. 1 John, the epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Behold, one manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called 
the sons of God. Therefore the world knew it as not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, to be Christ-like. And here is verse 3, that's uh, our presence, our present uh, life now. And every man that had this hope in him purified himself even as he is pure, so that we may be Christ-like. So that is a purpose that we as believers have, and not to neglect it, but to walk worthy of that, to become Christ-like. So... And your own little check mark with your pen. How are you doing? How are we doing to become Christ-like? See, this message is, <clears throat> is to encourage your brothers and sisters who feel you need purpose. Who feel, doesn't life have something more to offer? Well, to be Christ-like. So that Christ comes forth in us and from us is a purpose in itself. <clears throat> Another purpose for us is to restore the image of God in our life. In Genesis 1, we can read how God created man in his image. God, of course, is sinless and that image was violated when sin entered in. Genesis 1, 26, 28, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping things that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moveth on the earth. So he surely created man in his image to also have dominion. And this is why dominion should always come from a godly perspective. Is it over an animal? Is it over God's creation? It should be as God would do it. He gave us that responsibility. So God <clears throat> created man in his image to represent him here on earth. Sin corrupted that perfect image, but God still loved man that most of his image stayed with man. Even though sin um, blemished that, most of God's image stayed with us. And we can see that in uh, Genesis 9, 6, after the flood, God gave Noah and his sons a commandment. And he said, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. So he still recognized. And it goes to show that God still saw man as created in his image, even after we've sinned. When we understand that God's desire to restore his image. When we start to understand that God desires to restore us into his image, we, we, get, we begin to understand his hatred for sin, for images, for idolatry, for anything that imitates him. This is why God was against these graven images. He wanted his pure image to be seen in man. And it also supports the first point, what we worship is what we, what we will become. When Adam and Eve sinned, the image was marred by sin. And who, humans do not, do not now completely fulfill God's original design. Men's rule over creation experiences, experiences frustration because sin always brings corruption. But we still maintain his image, and we are still made to rule over creation. Here's the good news, which we all probably heard of it, is that God in his grace is restoring his image through the work of Christ. God does this because Jesus is the very image of God. 
Paul makes this claim twice in his writing. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He said that of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 3, uh, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He's talking about the veiling therein with the children of Israel. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Christ is the image of God that restores us, willing to restore us, in us, the image of God. So God is restoring his image in us by conforming us to the image of Christ. It is through union with Christ that we are made like him. Romans 8, 29, for whom we foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To conform us into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Amazing, the gospel, what Christ is doing. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror of the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And we've, we've talked about that, walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.9.11, Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So Christ, through his glorious work, he conforms us into his image. We have this opportunity every day, every moment to be conformed bit by bit into the image of Christ, the way he originally created it. Purpose. Can we find purpose? How are we doing with this one? For Christ to be restored in us. What are the measures we are taking? How is it going? Have we discovered it? So that when Christ returns, there is a complete restoration of his image in us. Another purpose or goal. This is a lofty one now. Is to become a perfect community church of believers. Believers that represent Christ here in this earth. And that sounds like an egocentric statement. But when Christ is doing his work in us, he is perfecting his people. We'll go to Ephesians. I want you to turn there now. Ephesians chapter 5. And most of the time, we use this chapter to encourage a couple and compare them to Christ and the church. Because it is a perfect example. But today we want to reverse that. We want to look at Christ and the church. And we can see that his heart is to perfect a people. To perfect his people, his church. A local church is a representation of his bride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. What do we see when we look at these verses? 
Probably the first thing that comes into our mind, I will try to be that. But that takes a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That gives me the, the total indication, the importance of the word of God in our life. That Christ uses it to sanctify us and cleanse us, to wash us. And we know that it's only effective if we walk obediently to that, to the Word. But this is what he uses. He uses the Word. Just as a husband uses the word and prayer to cover his family. So much more is Christ sanctifying the church. This is why nothing should take preeminence over Christ, over the gospel. This is where the word and tradition meet and a lot of times clash. This is where the word of God refines tradition that we love and hold dear to. And he cleanses a people, he cleanses a church through the word, but Christ has to be preeminent. Now, that puts a responsibility on just the elders. Sorry, on everyone. Got your attention. That puts the responsibility on every believer. It is a body. How and what to do with the word of God that the Holy Spirit presses on our lives and on our hearts to be faithful to it. And when that happens, when the believers exist together, when there's a body, the fruit of Christ's perfect word shines forth. Now, what is that work of perfection? In Colossians, there's a blueprint. In Colossians 3, chapter 12, no, chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm, I marvel at these verses. Number one is, the bond of perfection is love. And again, that is only a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we choose to obediently love, when He commends us, when He inspires us to love, those things and those people and those brothers and sisters, these members that are not so desirable, to appreciate and to love, we choose to love. It's the bond of perfection. And again, the word of Christ dwelling you richly in all wisdom. And again, it's a thing to notice in talking about perfection, is the word of God always cleanses. The word of God will cleanse. 
Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word. With the washing of water by the word. Being in the word has cleansing power among God's people. Can you just for a minute imagine if we all commit like Brother Willie's um, devotion on Thursday to give 10% of the time of our workplace, what we do, we're, it's divided into three basic sleep, um, work, rest. There's basic categories in all of three of them. But if we take the 10% of these three categories into the word, do you think that it will have an effect on the church? What do you think? Of course. So, are we guilty? Are we walking worthily? Something to think about. There is a responsibility that lies heavy on us to let the perfecting work of Christ flow in our midst so he can return to the perfect bride. Now we have to ask ourselves again, what part of my responsibility does it need to? Does it need so that I can obediently make that happen? What needs to change in my life so that can happen? Another purpose is the kingdom life. Our why we do things should always be able to be answered with a heart that points to our affection set on Christ, his kingdom, his people. Living the kingdom life is realizing when we are called, we're part of something that is bigger than ourselves. We commit to an order. In this, in this sense, it's the kingdom that Christ came to usher in 2,000 years ago. The kingdom life is to come under the lordship of Christ. It's walking in obedience to Christ and the word of God. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there is... Again, the, the, the former points support what he said here in 21, that he is the Lord of our lives. No matter what we do, this has to happen. We can see that in us, there needs to be a meekness that seeks to serve a king. Colossians 3, verse, verses 1 to 4, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Raised with Christ, receiving a gift of eternal life does not change. Does that not change my life, my outlook, if I remain faithful to him? When we talk about living in the kingdom life and walk worthy of our calling, that entails practical everything of our life. The kingdom life affects everything. As fathers, we are faithful to what we have been entrusted with. In the church, we do faithfully serve and build the things of God. It is recognizing my gifting in the body and faithfully giving my life to it and faithfully serving. It's living a selfless life and serving God's people as it were Jesus. Matthew 25, verses 34 and 40. We, I have it here, but I, for a matter of time, I won't read it. The judgment seat before Christ. What you've done as much as you did to me of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And they ask, who did I? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirst and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison come to you? This is the, the life, the attitude that has to be in God's people. We, we so many times we, we look at people with great talent, speakers and singers and uh, wow, they're gifted. And, and then the rest of us settle back on our phones and, uh, and go through uh, Facebook and go through YouTube and uh, maybe someday I'll do something too. But what about Matthew chapter 25? 
the simple serving and encouraging encouragement of people, especially God's people. See, I'm here to say and to claim this. There is this miraculous thing that happens in our heart when we wholeheartedly surrender to Christ. We miraculously remove the focus of ourselves and start caring about God's people and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we let Christ do that work in us, it's happening through our obedience. We grow it. Purpose, walking worthy of that. And finally, our purpose is to glorify God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3.23. Now that begs the question, how do we glorify it, God? What character, what kind of action, what choice in life will glorify God in our lives? If in our life we walk worthy of our calling, if we fulfill all the purposes that God has given us to fulfill, I believe we glorify God. I'm not sure if you noticed, but all the top points that I talked about, all of them have something to do with serving God and serving His people. All of them. And that brings us to the wisdom of Jesus. When the Pharisees heard, it says in Matthew 22, 34, he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And in a nutshell, there is a dying to self, there is a denying ourselves, and picking up our cross and follow Christ. So how do we glorify God? By loving God with all our heart in our neighbor as ourselves. As Christ increases, we have to say with John the Baptist, we need to decrease. This is how we glorify God. Not I, my dreams, my ambition, my portion, a life is not fair, and I need more money. It's rubbish. In the scheme of eternity, it's not glorifying God. God will provide. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Walking worthy of our calling is recognizing the kingdom working and its commandments. All of Jesus' life here on earth was serving and giving himself even to the death of the cross. In the Philippians, in Philippians, Paul said, Let his mind be new, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, in conclusion, if you're wondering if you walk worthy of your calling, take time to examine your life. <clears throat> and with examining our lives, we have to be honest, not false humility. Not boasting, but what is the evidence? Is there evidence of a changed person? Remember, being Christ-like. Becoming Christ-like. Is there evidence of being a changed person? Our true heart is revealed by how much time we actually spend with Christ. This old... Your old emphasis of having a per personal relationship with Christ is, a re is as real today as it was 20 years ago. Another one is, again, the second one was, we talked about it, restoring the image of Christ. 
Are you seeking to purify your life? Is it with tangible and meaningful action to be obedient to Christ, to restore the image of Christ in our life? To fully, number, another, the third one is to fully and wholeheartedly participate with God's people. Is it the local body? Is it actively having a heart for Christ purifying his church, building his church to shine for the glory of Christ? Am I wholeheartedly living the kingdom life? Be active and involved as Christ is building his church. The kingdom of God, seeking to walk, seeking to walk as Christ walked here in this earth. Burden and desire to glorify God in my life. <clears throat> these are <clears throat> these are the questions <clears throat> that we can use in our quiet time, or that we can use to examine ourselves, and uh, and pray that the Lord may give us grace to walk worthy of His calling as He does His refining work in us. Coming to, coming to Christ and serving Christ is not, a, is not the empty and meaningless serving of a dead God. He has desires and he has plans for us. But if we never engage and never seek it and never give ourselves to him, we'll never find out. If we don't decrease, he will not increase. If we don't draw nigh to him, he will not draw nigh unto us. So amen with that. May the Lord bless you. <clears throat>